We look around, but we do not see. We hear all these sounds, but fail to listen. We talk the talk so eloquently, but when the time comes to walk the walk, we just turn a blind eye. We have become an audience like those who sit around soccer fields with nice comfy seats and plenty of food and drinks to last for the game. We have become an audience who just sits on the sidelines. We're the audience to the cries of those who cry for justice, wondering if justice was ever just because now, now it's just them and their Lord. Salam alaikum, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Rogue Muslim. This one's a bit, um, well, we're back on to kind of the normal podcast because the Ramadan series is over. I really hope you enjoyed um, listening to them and experiencing the journeys alongside everyone. I'd actually be really interested in um, your thoughts on that to see, you know, if you learned anything or just how you thought it went overall also I'm in my garden and I really hope nobody like my neighbors aren't outside listening to me I don't know I can't tell but um anyways yeah I I would love to hear your thoughts on that um this week is a intense one um so we I should do a trigger warning I think um it will kind of let you understand, you know, what we will be discussing. So we will be discussing um, sexual violence against women, gendered violence, um, poverty violence, homeless violence, overt violence, systemic violence, spiritual violence, economic violence, um, just all the bullshit in the world, really. Um, so if you are not in a space where you want to be listening to this, please, please just stop. <laughs> I'm not going to be offended. Zena's the guest is not going to be offended. Um, please do take time to care of you, take care of yourself. And um, I hope that things are um, looking hopeful for you, inshallah. And um, yeah. Yeah, it just fucking sucks, really, doesn't it? Um, so, in this podcast, uh, we're basically going to be continuing the Muslim Me Too movement and the hashtag Muslim Me Too movement because the conversation doesn't need to stop um, and shouldn't stop. We just basically cover... So, I'm, ba- I'm doing a bad introduction of this, as usual. Um, I'm talking with Zena from Sakina Homes, and we are discussing... Um, Muslim women's shelters and the need for them um, and how we can support them or why they should be supported but also the fact that nobody wants these shelters to exist because it means that these these violences exist and so you know ideally people wouldn't be working in the field of sexual violence or gender-based violence etc but that is the case because it does exist so you know, just acknowledging that we don't act, nobody actually wants to be working in these fields if they didn't have to be. Um, so yeah, so we also continue um, a conversation on how to maintain and continue the 
connection that folks have to their communities because people feel that when they disclose or um, try and move on from the violence that they faced in their lives, that they're going to lose their community connections um, because it's such a taboo topic. So understanding that, you know, those connections can still remain and the community can still band together. And also the more we talk about it, the more we can figure out how to support one another in our daily lives. Um, How to identify safe people or how to indicate that you are a safe person to for, for somebody to disclose to. Um, we also discuss patriarchal interpretations of the Quran because that's a thing, unfortunately. Um, also, the fact that you can't just pray away abuse or mental health, that there are actions and um, things that need to take place in order to practically um, escape it. So, I kind of opening up that conversation, we discuss tips on recognizing cultures of abuse. Um, and so much more. I Is it weird to say that I really enjoyed this conversation? Um, yeah, I, I did. And I really hope that it kind of opens up some of the conversation even more. And if anyone wants to continue it and wants to come on the podcast, I'd love to um, connect with you. But yeah, um, we... We, we discuss a lot and there's quite a lot of topics and so we don't discuss a lot of it in the detail and in it, the holistic manner in which it could be done could be done so but yeah I mean yeah if you if you want to come on please do so sorry I'm super self-conscious here this is probably wasn't a good idea to come out and do this but here I am um but yeah that's kind of all the intro I have to say um if you want to support the podcast, then please do subscribe and review the reviews. Help, please, please, please. Mm. I'd love to see um, some more reviews. Uh, would just let me know, you know, how the podcast is doing and what folks' thoughts are on that. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't take long, so I'd appreciate a review if you can spare the time. Um and if you want to support in other ways, you can always um, follow The Rogue Muslim on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's all just at The Rogue Muslim conveniently. Um, and yeah, if you want to be on the podcast or if you want, if you think anyone else should be on the podcast or if you want, you know, to suggest any topics that you'd like to hear, um, then let me know. And you can email me. Uh, my my email is theroguemuslim at gmail.com so I think that concludes this awkward entangled um, introduction self-conscious introduction um, so without further ado I'll get to probably the conversation that you do actually want to listen to um, here it is um, on the Muslim YouTube movement and Muslim women shelters feet Zina Chaudhry from Sakina Homes. Okay, take care. Bye. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome back to the first, um, I guess, quote unquote, normal episode since the Ramadan series. Um, this week, I have Zena. 
um, from Sakina Holmes. And do you want to introduce yourself? Because I suck at that too. Sure. Um, I, I'll say the same thing that you just did. My name is Salmanikum, everybody. My name is Zena from Sakina Homes. Um, I currently serve as a chief executive officer at Sakina Homes. Um, and that's it, I guess. Nice. <laughs> so, um, actually, before we do go on, I do want to give some trigger warnings here. Um, we are going to be discussing sexual violence, abuse, homelessness, poverty, um, systemic violence, overt or violence. So if you're not in a place where you want to be um, exposed to that and hearing about that, please just stop this podcast right now. I'm not going to be offended. Zena, you're not going to be offended, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. So please take care of yourself and allow yourself the time to um, be able to work through some of that um, in the ways that you find fit. But Please don't feel for, that you need to be listening to this or anything. Um, so yeah, so obviously given that, we are discussing some pretty heavy topics today, um, but also hopefully ones in which we can find hope and one way of doing so is to th- is through talking about this stuff and destigmatizing it, right? Absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, we're going to talk about Sakina Homes, and you can probably give a better synopsis of what exactly it is than I can. Um, So do you want to go ahead and let us know what exactly Sakina Homes is? Sure, yeah. Sakina Homes is a sheltering project uh, for Muslim women and children in Canada. So basically what we do is we offer a number of services um, that are holistic. We're holistic in our approach, which means that we'll offer anything and everything under the sun to these women and children who need our help. If it's something that we've never offered before, we will come up with a way and a program to offer it to these people. Um, our, what we basically do is we operate homes and we have connections with motels and hotels in Ontario at the moment and in Calgary and Vancouver, um, where we actually house women temporarily and their children um, when they're escaping domestic violence and abuse. So what we basically do is we have an intake process where we, um, where someone will contact us uh, either through phone or email and we'll go over their case with them briefly, ask them what they're looking for in terms of if they're looking for housing, if they're looking for legal help, referrals, reconciliation services, whatever it may be. Um, and we will then assign them a caseworker and the caseworker will go through their case with them until everything is worked on and solved. Um, I know that it's, uh, like, we, we are the only... Um, sheltering project in Canada that offers um, remote casework as well, which means that women and children don't actually have to live in any of our accommodation areas uh, for us to help them. We will help them with anything and everything. So it's not an all or nothing approach. And we're the only ones who do that. So that means that if someone escapes an abusive situation with their spouse, they can move in with their mother if they want, if they're mm-hmm. comfortable there. And we'll also help them with everything else. If they want to move away from their parents and move with a friend, we'll still help them with everything else they need. Mm-hmm. So it's not an all or nothing approach with us. We really do want to give them control over how they live their lives. Mm-hmm. We just want to give them the options. So for us, it's never been an all or nothing approach that if you don't live with us, we can't help you. We'll help you with anything and everything you need. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to live um, with us or under us for us to provide services to you. Um, yeah. So basically it, it also equips them with like the, tools and the wherewithal to navigate the situations that they are, that are a part of their lived realities already 
um, and to be able to do so in a safer way and, um, yeah, like you said, in a way that allows them to have some control over their situations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that they've gone through so many years of ab- abuse comes in hand in hand with control. Um, so when they've gone through so much control, they actually look to us to make decisions for them. And it's, it's a learning process for us to teach them as well that, you know what, you have to control where you're going to go, where your what your future has. We are going to support you with whatever you choose and we'll give you all the options. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be on you to determine that. Like, yeah. we're not going to yeah. leave you alone and throw you into the water and say swim. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not going to be the ones who control you and tell you this is what you have to do now. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, just quickly, why uh, the name Sakina? So the name Sakina, um, I, I like, you know, there's, there's actually a number of reasons why we chose this. Mm-hmm. Um, home and Sakina, like, like you know, the, the feeling of peace mm-hmm. and tranquility that really, you know, when you look at when you look at a home, what makes a house a home or what makes an apartment or a condo a home? Mm-hmm. It's that feeling that when you come to it, that is your space to be. Mm-hmm. That is your comfort, space of comfort and tranquility and peace. So for us to kind of push that out and say that this is what we want all homes to be like, mm-hmm. whether or not they people live with us and create their brand new homes alone with their children, or whether we are helping a family come back together and create that in their home, that's what we want to exude. Right. That's very important for us to be able to do that. So Sakina Homes was actually, it was the fit, like, you know, it was in my mind for a very, very long time. Before I even started Sakina Homes, before I even thought about doing Sakina Homes, I kept thinking that, you know, the word Sakina and the word home are so intertwined that, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, really should go in hand in hand. And actually in my own bedroom at home, I have, I've had the word Sakina up for a very long time. Because for me, it really does represent it. They both words go hand in hand, and when put together, I think that it really shows a full picture of what we seek to do. We don't seek to break up families. We don't seek to break up houses. We just want people, however it may look like at the end of the day, to have peaceful homes. Yeah, yeah. And and are there like in the homes that you do provide? Are there certain like aesthetic ways that you you exude that, or you invite that? Yeah, so, I mean, we don't have, obviously, like, you know, um, there's there's uh, prayer calls that are given out five times a day, mm-hmm. um, through obviously one of those, you know, those little radio clocks that you get. Even when um, they are in motel or hotel rooms, we'll provide them with prayer mats, we'll provide them with whatever they need for comfort. Mm-hmm. So we ask them what makes you comfortable. Some people don't want mirrors in their rooms at all. Okay. So that's their level of comfort. Mm-hmm. And so we will do everything we can to make sure those are all out of the room before they get there. Um, we'll make sure that, you know, they have all the things that make them comfortable and make them feel like, you know, this is a place of peace for them. This is a place that they can recollect and really figure out where their life is going to go. Because that time of transitioning out of a situation into a brand new unknown is very scary because you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't know is it going to be better is it going to be worse is it going to be the same you don't know mm-hmm. it's a very difficult transitional period the transitional period is the hardest time i believe but it always inshallah has you know that bright light at the end where there's going to be something that you know people are looking forward to yeah so yeah. for us aesthetically to provide that that's you know something that we really care about um i we once had someone who actually told us that you know i walked into uh one of the rooms that we provided and we had so we have these, someone's actually drawn up 
or I, I guess we got them printed because someone designed them for us. These stands, these frame stands, mm-hmm. and they have idle kursi in them. Oh, nice. So anytime someone stays in a hotel or motel room that we provide for them, we'll put that on the dresser. Mm-hmm. And a woman called me one night, and mm-hmm. she was like, I can't tell you how good it felt to walk into that room and see that there. That's amazing. And it was just a little thing. And it's something that, you know, we never provided all the time. Mm-hmm. It's something that someone actually said, like, hey, can I donate these? And I was like, well, where are we going to use them? Yeah. Then I figured that, you know, like, hotels and motels, like, sometimes they have, like, welcome baskets. Well, hotels have, like, welcome baskets and, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, hey, thanks for staying with us. I really enjoy your stay. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff. Why wouldn't we do this for someone, like, a Muslim woman and children who are seeking comfort? Why would we not steer them directly where they'll seek the most comfort? Exactly. And it's especially if, because abuse is cyclical and um if they've gone to different shelters or different homes before not a lot of them are muslim oriented or like you know safe for muslims and there's no visible representation for themselves and to have their identities and their circumstances and cultures validated that's so satisfying and again that induces a feeling of sukun in them really yeah, no, absolutely, because, you know, it's not just about providing halal food because, I mean, it would save a lot of money, I think, for everybody if all we did was basically say, okay, all the shelters and homes that already exist, we'll just give you guys halal food right. every week. It would save a lot of money, trust me. Yeah. But that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's about everything. It's about having a place to pray. It's about having, you know, that community around you when it's time for suhoor or iftar. It's about having you know, good role models there with your children. It's about having Quran class, about having, like, you know, halakha. It's about having that connection mm-hmm. to the community, which you think, which you feel like you're going to lose mm-hmm. when you when you leave in a situation for Muslims, I feel. Yeah. They feel like they're going to lose that community support because it's such a taboo topic and it's frowned upon to yeah. talk about. People feel like they're going to lose that community support. And when they see that, hey, the community's actually here banding together behind us and with us, yeah. it's a whole different feeling. It is. And it's, and you know, when you read about Muslim experiences in different shelters, some of them are like, well, A, Islamophobic. They're like, I'm not going to help terrorists or whatever, or immigrants, or go back to your home. Others require you to convert to their religion. Most often, since it's a westernized country, it's Christianity that they require you to um, go to. And so to, to know and have that comfort that their community will still be there and they can, and they can reestablish who is part of their community and um, understand, right? And especially if you're also, if you've also been facing spiritual abuse where people laud Islam over you as their, um, as being valid, a valid reason to start abusing. The common one is uh, Surah Nisa Ayah 34, right? Where apparently it tells you you can strike a woman, although the word is, Zahaba, I think, and Zahaba is used 15 other times in the Quran, and it's always uh, translated as to separate, but of course the one entrance, uh, the one instance where it's surrounding a woman, it's translated by patriarchal people uh, as to strike. And so that these, these kind of spiritual abuses are used over them, and so to come into a space that says, hey, actually this is Islam and this is from an Islamic perspective and you're not going to hell for, you know, whatever your partner or family member or friend, whoever it is that is abusing you or stranger, imam, you know, is abusing you, um, has said that you're going to be 
going forward. Did that even make sense to me? <laughs> no, absolutely, because okay. we actually have a list of imams and sheikhs that we do not use because yeah. people have had very bad experiences with them when dealing yeah. with this. And yeah. these are people that we reach out to and we talk to and we say, hey, listen, like, why did you say this? Like, yeah. what, what in Islam or what in the Quran or in Hadith or Sunnah, like, where does this stem from? Mm-hmm. Like, where does this belief stem from? Because that's not what Islam says about abuse. Yeah. You don't, you don't, like, you know, even mental health, like, it comes, yeah. like, the same, it's the same people, by the way, who yeah. will be the same ones who say something about mental health that, yeah. you know, just, just pray the Hajjud and <sighs> your problems will disappear. Right. <laughs> like, you know, that's not actually what happens because yeah. if I have a broken leg, praying the Hajjud, they will not make my bone mend. Yeah. It's the same thing with your brain. Like, you know, there's if there's something going on, like it's an actual, you know, it's something that's happened to you. It's an actual illness that's in you, in your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just pray it and make it go away. Yeah. Mental health is health. It, it, yeah. An illness, an illness that's, you know, not physical, like it's there. They should be treated equally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's all intersectional as well, because. If you're abused, then your mental... Well, either it stems from mental health on the part of the abuser, or it can induce mental health on the part of the survivor um, or the victim if they if they eventually pass away, I guess. But it's... Yeah, it, 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 uh, yeah you're, abso- you're absolutely right. Like, it, there is a huge stigma around these things, mm-hmm. and these are the things that we really need to focus on as a community because they are very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Like, very, very prevalent. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter, by the way, if you're what your socioeconomic background is, what your ethnic background is, like, where you live, what you do for work, where your kids go to school. Like, I have seen, I mean, okay, you know what? I don't ever like saying I've seen it all because every time I say that, I get a case and I have to bite my tongue Mm -hmm. um, because it's, like, something completely different. But I've seen women who have not two pennies to rub together, and I've seen women who have over a million dollars in their bank account. Mm -hmm. And when they leave in a situation, sometimes it's financial as well, but sometimes it's really emotional and spiritual. And that's what they need. They need that support no matter what it looks like. That's why I say sometimes they don't need to live with us. Sometimes they have a place to live. Like they can afford a place to live. Mm -hmm. They need help in every other manner though. Yeah. They basically uprooted everything they've known their entire life. And they are starting brand new, sometimes without any support. Yeah, yeah. So when you throw into the mix an imam or a sheikh that tells them something that is very troublesome, yeah, that 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 really makes them question mm-hmm. about you know like what is like what's going on here. Yeah, and like you were saying that you provide a holistic approach and it's not an all or nothing approach. I feel those all or nothing approaches indicate that if you don't leave and you don't come to us, you're not strong enough. Whereas yours says, no, there's strength in where you position yourself and what you feel that you need for you and your your family, but will also provide you the supports to strengthen that Exactly, um, but it, it, don't, decision. Like, it, but the, isn't this a way for us to kind of start giving control in their own hands? Yeah. Saying that you decide where you want to live. You want to live with us? Fine. You don't want to live with us? Fine. But it's up to you. Yeah, yeah. And and why, what kind of um, reasons would women and children be coming into the home for? Like, there's a spectrum of reasons, I guess. Uh, obviously, yeah, some I mean, obviously, but... you know, domestic violence and abuse are the two biggest ones that we see. Mm-hmm. We see, we have asylum seekers, we have refugees, mm-hmm. we have people who have come out of prison mm-hmm. and don't have anywhere to go because either they've converted when they're in prison to Islam or their family, like, they're Muslim going in, they're Muslim coming out, and their family 
doesn't want anything to do with them. Right. So there's a huge, like, you know, array of people that we help. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to the fact that they are just looking for some guidance. Mm-hmm. Like, just they just want guidance. Sometimes people will come to us and say that, we have a place to say, we have our lawyer lined up, we have a counselor, we have all this... Help me, give me, like, tell me what I can do. Mm-hmm. And we don't tell them what they can do, but we give them options. And we say, this is the path you can take, this is the path you can take, this is the path you can take. You can mix and match, whatever it may be. Yeah. And we're here to support you any way you wish. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that, you know, there's, sometimes there's people who just have everything lined up. Like, they've already got all the resources. They have all that. They just want someone who's Muslim yeah. to work through it with them. Yeah. So they'll it, have a non-Muslim lawyer, they'll have a non-Muslim counselor, they'll have a non-Muslim social worker, they'll have all this. Yeah. But they're like, all we want is someone who's Muslim who can maybe help us, like, help provide some insight for us. Yeah, and who understands. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember I did, like, um, I don't even know how this happened in my life, but I got into this acting thing, like, these two acting positions <laughs> yeah. earlier on in the year, where it was working, one, one, no, both actually were working with the police, um, so problematic already, but, uh, working with them, um, I guess cause I was visibly presenting, um, as a minority and everything. And, and it was interesting because it, it allowed you to kind of hear the, the supports that they would give. And so basically the first story was I was, um, so I was just, I was coming to disclose what had happened to me. Um, the day after to a, a police and it happened to be a police woman. Um, and it was like, I, what was it? I was, I was at a house party and, and in university, it's my first year. I don't really drink, but I had a couple drinks this time. I was like, um, dancing with this guy and then we kissed and that was consensual. And then I somehow ended up at his apartment and, sexual violence occurred right and so I'm coming and disclosing this <laughs> and um at one point you know the the um the person on the other side she was like you know what it's okay to drink it's very normal to be doing this it's you're okay you're allowed to do this you're allowed to go and have fun etc etc and and that's not a judgment from on my part of people that do the, do that and are Muslim that's that's your life really um but it's also understanding that religiously speaking it's recommended not to culturally it's a taboo and so them saying that oh yeah it's okay um you're allowed to have fun blah 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 as a muslim woman in that situation i was thinking well no technically it's not and if if I, you know, interpret the religion as I personally do. I realize that it's wrong and it's haram. Um, and you telling me that, like, it, what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that they're missing a cultural and religious element that can provide some security. Or I would have found in my situation where it'd be like, I'd have to explain the whole religion and the culture and the nuances around that before it could, anything useful could actually occur. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. yeah, and that's why I feel like it's important to have um, Muslim homes, Muslim shelters, or just Muslim supports and resources yeah. um, that don't require you to be there necessarily. And Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and is there a cost to stay here? If if there's not actually, there's no, there's no okay. cost to any like anyone who's 
any of the residents. Okay. Um, there's something called a shelter allowance that if you're on OW, which is welfare in Ontario, mm-hmm. you get a shelter allowance. So if they're receiving that, it is payable to where they're living. So we, we like they pay that instead of paying it to a landlord or something, they pay it to us. Okay. But again, when they move out, we can provide them with the first and last month's rent. We provide them with that. Like, so mm. we, we basically invest that back into them. Awesome. And is there like, how long can they stay? So there's no maximum time period. Um, okay. Our obviously goal is to get them on their own feet and sustainable as soon as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, everyone has different comfort levels. Like some people may have it all set out. Like we have this housing ready for them. We have the legal stuff ready for them. But they may just not mentally be there yet. Mm-hmm. And we have to respect mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. But you don't want to push someone into something. Like you're forcing them to do something that they're not ready for. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's variable. I mean, our average is actually two months. Um, just okay. under two months, actually. Okay. So... But it's variable again, yeah. like that. You know, we, we might get cases that are asylum seekers who don't like who cannot work, mm-hmm. who don't get any assistance from the government, who like don't have any money. And also, yeah. that takes a, like a little bit longer for us to do compared to someone who's, let's say, a resident of Canada mm-hmm. and um, has welfare and um, can get on subsidized housing list. So, you know, there's there's different. The, every every case is absolutely different, mm-hmm. uh, but there's like obviously varying degrees to how fast we can work through it with somebody. Right, and at, and at each point, your your mantra or your vision is to provide serenity, safety, and strength. Yeah. And so, so our our point. I guess like I don't know what our tagline yeah. is: serenity, safety, strength, or safety, serenity, strength. Sorry. Yeah. So I mean, because it's the order that it comes in. Like safety is paramount at the beginning. What we do is safety planning. That's kind of the first thing that we will do with anybody: safety planning. Yeah. And then you know, giving them that place of serenity and peace and tranquility, mm-hmm. and then in that strengthening them to kind of you know stand up on their feet and walk with their head held up high, mm-hmm. proudly through life, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that they've made a decision that's best for them and their children. Yeah. And what is what does safety planning look like for folks that are not in this yeah, field? Sure. I guess. So yeah, sure. So safety planning. So we do two types of planning. One is safety planning, which is before they leave the visa situation, and second is sustainability planning, which is once they leave our transitional phase, mm-hmm. how they're going to survive the rest of their life. So safety planning looks like us asking them, you know, what are the chances that you will be abused in the next little while before you leave? Um, how bad is the abuse? Um, can you get together all your important paperwork, jewelry, um, IDs, anything for the kids? Like everything you got to get together, ready yeah. and put into a safe place for when yeah. you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. We plan out the day that they leave exactly what it will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone's going to work, someone's going to school, um, someone's going to visit somebody, you know, what it's going to look like for them to leave. Yeah. So we, we kind of put all this into perspective so they know exactly what's going to happen yeah. and any emergency things that may arise we always have like you know things set out that okay you know if this doesn't go according to plan this is what we do if this isn't going according to plan this is what we do so we have all this set out with them and that includes actually we we work closely with school districts and school boards to figure this stuff out as well depending on where the kids are going to school and what age they are so we we kind of have an encompassing approach to the safety planning Mm -hmm. we think about everything and anything that could go wrong Mm -hmm. and how to you know circumvent all those issues that's amazing and again allows them to have control over what that looks like and or they mentally know we don't we don't tell them you must leave within the next 48 hours um we tell them when do you want to leave and if it doesn't go as planned that day there's no pressure for them to be like man we gotta leave because sakina home sold us like we have to leave today (laughs) because the hotel room is for today so we have to leave like you know if it's not going to plan don't put yourself at risk yeah 
And they don't need that. Tomorrow is another day. Exactly. Exactly. And what kind of, um, you mentioned some of the programs or some of the services that you provide. So what are they? um, Yeah. So again, like we'll provide anything and everything that is done. If there's something that we've not provided everybody for and someone needs it, we will find a way to do it. And that's how reconciliation, by the way, came into play. We never offered it before until someone was like, I really want to like try and reconcile. And we're like, huh. Yeah. So Let's then, put together a program yeah. and roll it out. And alhamdulillah, we did. Yeah. And how did that, uh, what was the process of um, figuring out best practices, I guess? For best, so, I mean, best practices. There's You know, there's best practices. I was talking to someone about this um, last week, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, there's best practices in this industry and in this sector and this field. And that's, you know, you follow what these really established, you know, well-working traditional homeless shelters have done. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at it through Islamic lens, their best practices may not be Islamically the best practices. Right. So we have to take the good from them, mm-hmm. but supplement the good from Islam into that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So for us, reconciliation was huge because it's so important in Islam to create strong family units. Yeah. If, you know, and it, reconciling someone if they want to do so and if they're safe to do so, there's no harm in that. Because mm-hmm. we're not saying that if we do this, you can't come back to us and say you want to leave. Like, it's one thing or the other. Like, no, that's right. not how it works. So right. we did a lot of research into it, uh, spoke to a lot of imams and sheikhs about it, mm-hmm. um, put together a team of them who help us out through this, put together a team of counselors who are involved in this. We kind of have a reconciliation team, I would say. Uh, people who approach the abuser in the situation as well and present this idea to them. Then people who, like, schedule it together with a counselor, people schedule it together with anger management, people schedule it together with an imam or shape, and we go through the entire process together. So it's kind of like a huge team effort. Mm -hmm. And how many people are there on your team at Sakina Homes or caseworkers and stuff? Yeah, so in terms of caseworkers, we have, um, including me, I don't do as much casework as I used to anymore, but including me, we have uh, eight people currently doing casework. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a very, very mashallah involved uh, board of directors okay. um, who have been guiding us since the beginning. Um, and so they're, they're really great, mashallah. Yeah. Uh, we have counselors that we use um, that are not officially part of the team, but they're people that we outsource to currently. Um, we will start hiring actually mm-hmm. um, <laughs> next end of next month nice. uh, for like our home. So I was telling you that inshallah we're opening um, new homes yeah. um, this year. So, um, you know, people will we'll be hiring for those positions as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not a huge operation. It's not a huge operation at all. Okay. Um, I used to do it on my own before. Wow. And I would literally have 30 open cases a day and I'd just be making calls like a crazy lady, like every which way. Oh, um, my God. Until I learned that, you know, I cannot do it all. I, yeah. need to, I need to start delegating. And mashallah, we have such an amazing team. We honestly have such an amazing community. Yeah. People want to get involved any which way they can. Yeah. And we are so appreciative of that because if the community is not involved in this, the problem will never be solved. Exactly. We cannot only be reactive. We have to be proactive. We do seminars. We do training. We do talks. We do it because... We have to make sure that generations, whether it's like older generations or younger generations, know what abuse looks like from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So they don't fall into that pattern. They have to understand what their rights are, what their responsibilities are as men, as women in Islam. They do understand all this so that we're not only for forever and ever being reactive, but housing people. 
we have to be proactive and make sure that people know how to act so it never gets to that point. Yeah. How to raise your sons, how to raise your daughters so that it never gets to this point. Yeah. And do you so have, I mean, sorry. my dream, like people would say, oh, my dream is to have like, you know, the largest sheltering project in all like the world and have like 200 homes across the country, yeah. like, world, which is great. If there's a need, great. That's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah who wouldn't want that? Yeah. But my dream is that in 20 years, my job doesn't exist anymore because right. we've basically dealt with the issue. Exactly. Exactly. And, and do you have any tips you can give listeners on how to raise, um, sons and how to raise strong daughters or to, um, start really recognizing some of the abusive practices that they may have or yeah i mean first and foremost look at there's not you know physical and social abuse are very like they're the ones that you can see the most mm-hmm. emotional psychological abuse you cannot see yeah so take a look and just see the way that you talk to everyone in your family see the way that people talk to you say the way see the way that your children speak see the way that your spouse speaks see the way that your parents speak just look at the way that it happens and see what kind of lasting impacts it has. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes parents say things to kids or kids say something to parents and it can be emotionally and psychologically abusive. Mm-hmm. If it's done again and again and again. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize. They're just like, that's how we were raised, so that's yeah. how we're going to raise our kids. Yeah. But it leaves scars. It does leave scars. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, really looking into ourselves and saying that, okay, what are we doing? What are we saying? Is it right? Is it wrong? You know, what's the path we're taking here? I think that's the first place is introspective, looking at that. The second thing is looking at, like, bigger things. Like, okay, you know what? If you've been living in a house with abuse, your kids know. Like, yeah. you may think your kids don't know, but your kids know. Yeah. You may think your siblings don't know, but your siblings know. Exactly. Like, this is not stuff that you can hide. Yeah. You may think you can hide it, but you cannot. It'll affect them moving forward, your daughters, and it'll affect your sons as well. Like, it's, it never, like, when people say I stay because of my kids, I'm like, you are doing them a disservice. Yeah. You are doing an absolute disservice to them. Either try and fix the issue yeah. or try and, like, prevent the, like, try and fix the issue or move away from the issue. Because living in that issue, you may think you're hiding it, but you're absolutely not hiding it at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it all stands with, like, attitudes and beliefs there's like a pyramid right so that it's like attitudes and beliefs and then it's um it it becomes to like jokes and certain degradations and stuff and then it's physical or yeah and, so, and it's not never like i mean it's it's actually happened i would say never because it's happened to cases of ours where they're actually hit on their first like night as a married couple yeah but it very rarely starts off with just like a slap or a kick or a punch mm-hmm. it starts off like very slowly like you yeah. know mean things towards them or their family and then like you know degrading them and then like you know it starts off like that then it gets to like the bigger things like that and it's 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 not because you know if you just start that it's like a shock to the system be like oh my god like he's abusive right this way they can actually have more control if they start slow and build up yeah yeah and we were saying really twisted way of thinking but that's what we've seen yeah and abuse typically is that they've uh, had control taken away from them in whichever situation, and so they're trying to reclaim some of that, and they do it through exactly. violence against women and children. Yeah. And yeah. I always find it interesting in terms of you know some refugee cases um, where it's not the case that you know maybe their home was had had sukun in it back home, and um, you know they had a healthy relationship, healthy family life, and then they come here and they can't speak the language, they're not working, they're facing homophobia, xenophobia, um, etc. Policies that are exploitative and abusive 
and stuff like that. And so they don't have control anymore over themselves and their way of life. And, you know, they resort to violence thereafter if they're not given healthy spaces in which to kind of, because the anger is valid. No, the anger, it's not that the anger isn't valid. It's just that the expression of it is invalid. I say that. I say that. I say that to women. And they're like, but, you know, he was abused by his dad his whole life. And I'm like, but listen, yeah. like, just because that happens doesn't give anyone a right to abuse someone else. Like, yeah. you know, I, I even came to the point where I'm like, you could be, you know, screaming and yelling and he can't just get up and like punch you in the face. Like, yeah. You know, there, there's everyone is responsible for their own actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can't, you can't ever say that. Oh, he did it because I, you know, spoke loudly. Like that's not an excuse. Don't, don't excuse this kind of behavior. Right. Because everyone right. can control their own actions, exactly. and they, and they have to be accountable for them. Exactly. And you know, when when we're talking about kids and like you know that kind of stuff, a lot of the service that we provide, we provide because there's children involved as well. Like, yeah. you know, a, a full list, I guess, of our services is we do safe housing medical assistance, therapy and counseling, secular and religious both. We do religious education, uh, secular education, safety and sustainability planning. We do referrals, Mm -hmm. financial assistance, cultural and religious sensitivity. We do restorative justice and reconciliation practices and legal assistance. So we offer all these services right now. Um, So again, it's not an all or nothing approach. It's whatever someone may need. Um, but, you know, especially with kids, we see that counseling is a huge area. Like, mm-hmm. they need it. Mm-hmm. They, they need to get, you know, they need to sort these things out yeah. at a young age. Otherwise, it'll just be in worse and worse as they get older. Yeah. And, and how are the kids' lives impacted if they do um, come into the transitional home? Like, are they able to go to school? Are they... Absolutely. We have great relationships with all the... Um, school districts uh, where we operate or where we have operated yeah. um, like very good relationships with all our social workers and all the you know principals and vice principals and teachers in the areas as well mm-hmm. um, they know exactly what we do they know to never you know single that child out um, they're they're kept very very safe we have a special procedure with them in Ontario mm-hmm. um, with the school districts where we can actually you know make sure that they're safe and that abusers cannot find them so we, we have mm. we have special precautions that we put into place with these school districts. So it, it really makes it a lot easier for, you know, the mothers to feel comfortable with sending their kids to school and knowing that, you know, they won't get taken from school. Amazing. And um, I know we've kind of touched on this a bit, but what are these stigmas associated with abuse and violence in Muslim communities and then also of Muslims by non-Muslims? So, okay, that's a, a big question, question right? <laughs> so, with in Muslim communities, it's really about what did you do to make him hit you? Right. What did you do? Like, what? Like, I've heard your mom ask this, by the way. Like, what did you do that he hit you today? To try and get to the root cause of why he hit you. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. I was sitting there and I was like, hey, no. Yeah. I was like, can I just have a word with you alone for a second? And I'm yeah. like, why are you why are you assuming yeah. that she did something? I'm like whether or not she burned his food. Yeah. Why would that be okay for him to he's like, but that would be a reason that he would do it. And I was like, What? Don't give him an excuse. Yeah. Like it's never like I don't care if you burn my food every day of a month. Like yeah. I can't get up and hit you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't call you garbage. I can't call you trash. Yeah. Like you can't do that to people. People yeah. are they're humans. No. And I find that when this is a really random example, but when women strengthen other women up, it's so empowering and 
invalidating. Like, I remember when I was a kid, my grandma and I were watching the film Monster in Law, I think it was. Yeah. It was on TV, back when you actually watched stuff on TV. And, um, and there's this scene where Jennifer Lopez's mother in law um, slaps her or something. And yeah, it's like when she's thinking that's going to happen, but it's not actually happening. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, right. And so my grandma literally, without batting an eye, or yeah, without banging an eye, she just turns to me. She's like, Samia, if your mother in law ever hits you like that, slap her right back. Do you hear me? I was like, okay. <laughs> grandma power. Like, right? I was like, it was just this moment of like, huh. You're you're gonna be there for me, and and it's okay. Like whatever happens to me, I know I have. It, it's like these micro ways of letting people know that you're a safe person, or yeah, that you're yeah. there for them, or that you're, they're they're not gonna tolerate the abuse that may happen to you. Well, you know, I, I like my sisters still say to this day that you know, Zena, when you started in this field, you went a little crazy, and I was like, what? I was like so disappointed. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then they explained it. I'm like, yeah, you're right, actually. I started and I couldn't sleep right. when I started this work. I, I have a law background. Yeah. Um, I feel like with law, you're a little bit, even I did my master's in international human rights law. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with that, like you're kind of still far enough away from cases that you're not like, you don't feel attached to them mm-hmm. in this kind of work in social work. It's very difficult to, you know, not feel that because you're literally living this, these people's lives with them. You're, you're, you know exactly what's happening to them, what's happening to them, what's going to happen. Like, you know it all. You know, you're yeah. not just looking at the one legal perspective of it. You're looking at their entire life. Yeah. So I literally, like, they still, they, they laugh about it now because they're like, you would go around and just watch couples. <laughs> they're like, you would just watch for signs of abuse and then turn to us and be like, hey, you think that he was, like, really loud his wife over there? Yeah. They're like, we'd be sitting in a mall. And you turn to us and be like, isn't that guy grabbed his wife's bag to help her because uh, he wants to control her? Right. And I would do that. And I and I, and I think about it. And I'm like, wow, I did go. And I would literally sit there and I'd watch my brother-in-laws. And mashallah, my brother-in-laws are amazing. My father is amazing. Yeah. They love their wives so much. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative because yeah. it makes my life so happy oh, when I'm, I see that. Yeah. But I would sit there and watch and I'd watch my brother-in-law and I'd be like, okay. He's good today. He's good for today. And I'd watch him again the next day and be like, he's good for... And I was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just watching, like, watching what he's doing. And, and they're like, what are you... Like, I drove myself crazy looking for abuse. And they're like, at least we knew, though, that if something happened, we could come to you. Exactly. Like, Thank God. Like, that's all I want to hear, right. is that you guys feel comfortable enough. But that's it, right? Making mm-hmm. sure that people know you're a safe person. And you know how not to do that is mm-hmm. by going to people and being like, hey, you know... <laughs> Yeah, your husband yelled at you, yeah. like, like you want to come live with me? Like, that's not a way to do it. Right. Like, you know, you, you make them comfortable enough to come to you and speak about an yeah, issue. Yeah, and it can be through, like, nonverbal don't be, ways. Don't go crazy the way I did. Like, don't don't be like, like, I wouldn't sleep at night because I'd be like, man, that man at Sephora, like, he was really impatient with his wife. I hope she's okay going home. Like, he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything to her. He was just, like, impatient, like. He was waiting there tapping his foot. And I was like, man, I hope he didn't explode at her. Like, I was just, like, really, like, I feel like everything at that point was just, like, I was like, man, could that be something bigger? Because, like, that's what I began training myself to think, that right. a little thing can turn to a big thing. And it's true, it can. It can. But 
I can't sustain myself thinking that way. No. I just have to make sure people know I'm a safe person to come to. And and by, you know, the way to show yourself that you're a safe person is really by discussing these topics. Whether or not, like, let's say you know that someone's being abused. Like, let's say you know a family friend is being abused. Yeah. Don't talk to that person one-on-one because they might not be comfortable enough to come to you. Exactly. bring up the issue or talk about a case that you've heard in the news about domestic violence. So they know where you stand. So yeah. they know that you're not one of those people who's like, man, look out gang if you leave. Like, exactly. what are people going to say? What yeah. are people going to do? Like, you're breaking up your house. Yeah. Make, just make sure they know you're a safe person. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be by you coming to them and being like, yo, like, yo, I think your husband hits you. Like, you okay? Right. Like, that might not be the best way to do it. Right. No. And, so, and I mean, again, in terms of stigmas attached with abuse in Muslim communities, mm-hmm. it really is, you know, that... People, some people come at it with the lens of Islam that it's allowed, where, by the way, it is not allowed. I just mm-hmm. want to make that very clear yeah. that it's not allowed. It's not okay ever. Yeah. Um, like, I really do need to make that clear. Because mm-hmm. I used to just, by the way, when I used to talk, I used to say that, oh, people associate with Islam. And then I would never say that, oh, by the way, it's not okay. Right. And it would be like, but you kind of just left it. So ah, now I'm making very clear that yes. it is not allowed. I just moved my face closer to the mic. It is not allowed, <laughs> yeah. you guys. Ever. No. Ever, ever, ever. Do not hit or abuse Mm-mm. physically, Mm-mm. sexually, emotionally, psychologically. Do not abuse, please. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-mm. Nope. Um, there we go. But yeah, stigmas is it's really it's really like you just broke up your family. Like mm-hmm. women keep the family. You know how many times I've heard women keep the family together. Mm-hmm. No, families have to keep themselves together. Yeah. Why put the burden on a woman and be like, listen, if you don't go through all this and put it up all of it, it's your fault. No, yeah. it's the fault of the abuser. Yeah. Every single time, it's the fault of the abuser that yeah. does this. Yeah. Also, can I just, as aside that um, it relates, but it, it's not going to flow. <laughs> I just need to say it before I forget it. I remember seeing a tweet where it was like, you know, you know how men, or when we explain sexual violence, it's like, imagine if this was your daughter, if this was your wife. Is this why? Why do we have to imagine blah, blah, blah. that, though? Right? And it's like, I don't need, as a woman, to be told, imagine if this was your son, imagine if this was your it's husband, your father, to have respect. Yeah. It's like, I respect you because you're a human, regardless of your gender. Like, why do we like, that's, you know, that, that, that really comes into the whole objectifying women thing. Like, yeah. I, this metaphor, by the way, that I've seen online, it irks me. And it hurts me to another level. Is it the when hijab you see that one? Metaphor? Are you talking about the lollipop one? Yes. Fucking oh, hate it. People like that. Yeah. A lot of people repost that. I do. And they're like, it's literally a lollipop <laughs> that's covered, and the lollipop is uncovered, oh. and there's flies around the lollipop that's uncovered. Yeah. And be like, you wouldn't put this in your mouth. Yeah. Why would you let your oh. daughter walk out of the house without a hijab? And I'm like. It actually. Oh man. Oh. I need a punching bag every time. Oh my god! So, I, I, why are we objectifying women? Exactly. Why can't we just treat them like humans? Yeah, and there's no hierarchy of women either. Like it doesn't mean that because you wear a like job, you're that, better. You're, like, you we know, know what's right and wrong in Islam. We know, you know, what's permissible, what's impermissible, what's recommended, yeah. what's not recommended. We know all that. Let's yeah. not let's not say let's not pretend we don't. Yeah. But why objectify women yeah. like that? And why don't you Is it your equivalent to a lollipop with your wrapper off and there's flies around your head and that's what you're like if you don't wear a hijab? Right, right. Listen, and, if that was the case and that wearing hijab or niqab or abayas prevented rape, Saudi Arabia would have zero rape. But it exactly. has a very high rate of rape, actually. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. we obviously know that, you know, that is not going to solve the problems. No. Obviously, in Islam, you know, we, we, we are, you know, prescribed to wear the hijab and, you know, but... 
that doesn't mean that you call someone who doesn't like an uncovered lollipop with flies around the head and blame them for the issues that they have in their life. Exactly. I've had a mother-in-law like during a reconciliation process where the husband and wife want to reconcile. The mother-in-law sat in there as well, which she never came to any of the other sessions because I really expressed how bad it was that she was there. Okay. Yeah. She went to her daughter. They were talking about something else. She went to her daughter and said, you know, I told you if you wear hijab, none of this would have uh... happened. And I was like, wait, what? Backtrack. I was like, what? You're telling me your son raped his wife yeah. to have a baby because she doesn't wear hijab? Like, no, she doesn't wear hijab in front of him, right? Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, like people sometimes... There's literally no logic. Like, that's why, that's why I don't really understand. Know. Like, you know how there's this whole hierarchy, hierarchy of sins that's actually a hierarchy of sins, and yeah. then there's a hierarchy of sins in, like... Muslims minds right. like people who practice Islam right. are not perfect Islam is perfect but people who practice it are not yeah the hierarchy in our minds is do not drink yeah wear hijab yeah do not eat pork mm-hmm. everything else backbite all you want yeah but everything else everything else is okay murder cheat do whatever cheat, but cheat if you cheat, need to cheat. cheat yeah murder if someone like looks at you the wrong way or yeah. your wife the wrong way yeah. murder them right. but but don't don't drink don't yeah. eat pork and yeah. make sure you wear your hijab exactly and like men, that, don't worry about lowering your gaze. Men, you don't need to worry about hijab. It's only the woman. And men whose knees are showing, it's okay. Brother. Yeah. Who wear Just tight shorts. yourself and pray. Yeah. Who don't lower their gaze, even though that's the first premise of hijab, is on you to lower your gaze. Yeah. Sorry. I, I should just... <laughs> but then you're going from stigmas attached in Muslim communities, going outside Muslim communities. Yeah. We look at it like this. We look at it, okay... You know, we know that abuse is now here in Muslim community. Like, it's in yeah. every community, every religion, every ethnicity, every race, yeah. every socioeconomic background, yeah. no matter what race, uh, sorry, um, abuse exists. Yeah. Like, we just need to understand that. Like, there's nobody who's immune from abuse. Yeah. Point blank. Yeah. End of story. Okay? Yeah. Um, people living in Mecca are abused. Oh, people yeah. People living in Rio de Janeiro are abused. People yeah. living in Australia are, like, it, ju- yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, they're abused like, within you know, the there's, Kaaba. There's like, no boundary. No. If they're abused in the Kaaba, I mean, where else? Where Nowhere exactly. else is safe. Exactly. No. So, I mean, we have to accept that abuse exists everywhere mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Okay? Accept it and work towards, you know, like, getting rid of it. But, as Muslims, I feel like what, what I've seen a lot of the time is that they don't want to talk about it because they don't want non-Muslims to be like, man, these Muslims abuse their women. Guess yeah. what? The rate of non-Muslims abusing is much, much higher. The only reason why we think it's higher in the Muslim community is because it's looked at a lot more in the media because mm-hmm. of Islamophobia. Yeah, yeah. And because we want to name it honor killings when actually, if you look at non-Muslim men who kill their partners, whether they're wives or girlfriends or fiancés, due to honor-related issues like cheating mm-hmm. or sleeping around mm-hmm. or not even cheating or sleeping around, but they think that something's right. happening or they don't like that they have guy friends or they don't like that they're hanging out with their guy cousins, yeah. the rate actually in non-Muslim communities is much, much higher. Right. So why don't we call honor killings for what they are, exactly. no matter what the religion is? Why yeah. do we have to label it just for, like, or even race? Like, why do we label it just for, like, South Asians? Yeah. Why is it not called honor killings when a Caucasian does it? Yeah. Why? Yeah. And non-Muslims, it is, it is based in honor. It is, yeah. And non-Muslims don't assume that a every Muslim has gone through a, 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 a somebody knows somebody who has gone through an honor killing or FGM. Don't assume that we're all abused. Don't assume that we're not empowered. Don't assume that we're vulnerable little mouses or whatever. Like, yeah, man, you know how many, <sighs> you know, 
women empowering women is my favorite thing. Yes. Whether you're looking at it like, you know, women. So I, I went, I did my master's in the UK. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a huge pub life there and club life there. Mm. So some nights coming back from dinner, yeah. I, I'd see women, like, who were, like, you know, intoxicated. And they didn't know each other. Yeah. Like, they would just be crossing the street. And one of them would turn to the other and be like, I love your dress. You are a queen. <laughs> And I was like, that's so beautiful, man. <laughs> right. Like, she doesn't even know her. And she, they're, like, lifting her up. But then you'll see it in the mushroom as well. Yeah. And you'll see it where it's, like, sister, your abaya is so beautiful. <laughs> and yeah. this other girl will be like, oh, it's Zaka Lachair. Like, my mom got it for me. And yeah. that's the end of their conversation. They go by their own yeah. life. Like, women lifting other women up, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing at all wrong with yeah. that. Like, I love it when women have great friendships. It's like, amazing. It's like female what? friendships are so amazing and beautiful and empowering yeah. that it's unbelievable. Like, they are each other's strength through everything. Yes. Behind every great woman is a tribe of women, right? Supporting Here you go. Her. I like that. that that's, it is how it is. It's absolutely true. Like, the work I do, by the way, I could not do with all the women behind me. There's mm-hmm. men behind me as well. Mm-hmm. But the women behind me too. Like, I... I I could not do it without them. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, like female friend, female empowering females is so important. And I it's think that's something so that we have important. to look at as well is that, you know, if, if you cannot be there for your sisters in Islam and the Ummah, like who's going to be there for them? Mm-hmm. It's a long shot. There are men, by the way, who help a lot, mm-hmm. but, but you know, who would a woman who's abused feel more comfortable coming to a woman or a man? A woman. There you go. Even men feel comfortable coming out to coming to women. Yeah, because yeah. they because they feel like their masculinity is in question if they go to yeah, a man. Exactly. If exactly. they if they make themselves vulnerable, men are going to be like, "Yo, bro, like this is game night. Like, yeah. what are you doing?" Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that and, and that's why women only spaces. I know there's like a lot of segregation issues and stuff, but in some contexts, women only spaces are so empowering because you're allowed to just be. You're allowed I mean, that we have, we've had workshops, by the way, it's women only, and men are like, yeah. we want to come to, and I'm like, but we have co-ed workshops, yeah. but some of them are women only, because yeah. sometimes women just need to be open to be with open. each other, yeah. and they don't feel they can do that with men. Exactly. Same reason why you have people of color only spaces, or black only spaces, or... Yeah, because there's a comfort level. There's a comfort, yeah. You don't have to explain your identity and your whole being, or like, you can just let go of some of those... Um, performances, exactly. right? And, I mean, I mean, and when it comes to stigma with the non-Muslim community, that's what we look at. We look mm-hmm. at, you know, I, the metaphor I use is it's like a pile of garbage sitting on a driveway, and it's a very hot day. Mm. And you say that, oh my God, it's there, and it's going to start smelling soon. Like everyone's going to be able to know what it is. Right. And that pile of garbage is domestic violence in the Muslim community. And you as a Muslim be like, oh, man, okay, I'm just going to cover with the tarp. So you cover with the tarp. Right. And you're like, great. And then like the next day, it's hot again. Yeah. And now that garbage starts seeping onto the driveway yeah. and starts like coming down, and you're spraying perfume on it. You're using your hose, and the next day it's the same thing. You can't cover it up. You just have to get rid of it. That's what you got to do. Exactly. Covering it up won't do anything. It'll just get worse and worse and worse, and it'll, the pile will get like nastier, nastier, nastier. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta get rid of it. That's your solution. Yeah. And the biggest thing that we do is ignore it or silence survivor stories or silence women that. Yeah, are coming out and so we just yeah. say that oh no that didn't happen that's not that's not true i don't or or like oh no why did you do this or, especially spiritual abuse by like imams and leaders mm, will be like man don't talk about it like yeah. why are you gonna do that people are gonna be like man if they're on why why are we doing that why are we silencing women when they're coming out with their truth exactly 
Exactly. Let and them say that they were abused. If they are yeah. comfortable at that point in their life, it's their right to say that we were abused by this person. Exactly. And I and I really fucking hate when people say, "Oh, they're doing it for sympathy or they want attention." Hello, uh, trust it's me, nobody not wants safe. that kind of attention. Exactly. Do you see the vitriol around uh, people that disclose or open up after even the Me Too movement? It's not a safe space to come out. It's, it's not, not absolutely. It's, it doesn't benefit them. I mean, it, it it does in a way, but it also causes so much harm to them as well. Mental harm, physical harm, safety. Like it's it's not. You no, know, you're absolutely right. Like it, it's 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 so hard. By the way, like you know, I I I I joke a lot. I you know I you know that's just who I am as a person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that I, I like joking a lot and that kind of stuff. And it makes me, I, I need to lighten myself sometimes. And that's yeah. why I do what I, like, that's why I make the jokes I do and that right. kind of stuff. Right. But this is such a difficult topic. This is such a difficult field to be in mm-hmm. because out of 365 days, you'll only have two or three good days. Right. You don't see a lot of good in this field. No, you don't. You see a lot of sadness. You yeah. see a lot of bad. You see a lot of hurt and anger and anguish and pain yeah. and disappointment. Yeah. And it's it just really does, you know, it, it, it eventually does get up to you. I mean, by the way, I totally am in support of every person having a counselor or a therapist. Yes. I have a clinical therapist because I cannot deal with this stuff. Like, yeah. I cannot deal with the pressure that's on my shoulders. Yeah. I need a clinical therapist. And I recommend, by the way, everyone to have one. Mm-hmm. Whether you go to that person once a year, once a month, once a week, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should have one because yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And we go to nothing doctors. Wrong with it. No, we go to doctors for our physical pain. Yeah. Mental health, mental pain is is more. You're basically just it's talking to everything. someone. There's yeah. nothing wrong with just talking to people. Yeah. In, in ideally a non-judgmental um, space. Yeah. One really, I hope it's quick, um, but um, do governmental policies and like Doug Ford's policies that do you know if they're going to affect you right now we're not government funded we're 100 percent privately funded like oh, okay. it's just the goth and sadhika money okay however mm-hmm. his cuts affect us because a lot of the services that we use as referrals get affected uh, yes right so bringing doug ford in was a very bad move ontario yeah um he will cut everything i mean people want their taxes cut and gas prices cut but everything else will be cut as well. Like, mm-hmm. I just want people to know yeah. what they've done. And there were Muslims um, that voted for him, and I still haven't forgiven them, if I'm very honest. Oh, because yeah. they just care about the health Tax curriculum, bracket. and that's a whole different story. Oh. I don't want to get into that. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole so, other podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I honestly, it just, it doesn't affect us directly, yeah. alhamdulillah, but it affects people that we work alongside with, so at the end of the day, it will affect the way that we do our referral process as well. Okay. Wow. Oh, well, yeah, hopefully activists and uh, folks can actually wake up and activate, I guess. I think it's just time to keep him accountable to and keep, to make yeah. sure he knows the issues that he's doing. Like, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's hard to hold on to hope because there's like, you know the shit that you're doing and you're doing it purposefully, but that's a different story. Sorry. Uh, so I just have really a few quick questions that I ask yeah. uh, everyone at the end of the podcast. Um, yeah. My first one is, what is your favorite thing about Islam? unity mm. honestly it's just unity yeah. like okay like eat prayer early 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 in the morning <laughs> like 
when else you when else are you gonna see people wake up that early <laughs> to pray and then go and like at like six a.m. go and eat? Right. <laughs> and not like, just eat light stuff. Unity in Islam is so beautiful, and it's yeah. also sad when you don't see the unity. Yeah. So I feel like when you have it, it's the most like enli- like enlightening thing and then when you don't have it's the most disappointing thing that's so true i believe in um micro ummas where like ideally i would love the idea of a whole united ummah under under the belief of god but i believe in micro ones i think i bring this up like every podcast people are probably so sick of me talking about this but this idea where we're united but we're only united under like the specific sector in or the specific culture or and the intersections that's, that's of that, right? It doesn't make you feel disappointed sometimes. I hate it. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, I'm too sad. Yeah. Cause then and, and when you when you read the spirit of Islam, it's all about unity and it, it makes you feel so empowered and in love and everything and then you actually face the reality, you're like, great. Yeah, I think like, unity and it? forgiveness for mm. me are Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Alhamdulillah, we are a religion where we have a direct connection with God. We don't have to go to confessional. Like, we don't have right. to confess to somebody else. Like, right. our sin. Like we have a direct connection mm-hmm. for forgiveness and mm-hmm. the law. Like, what can be more beautiful than that? Exactly. Yeah. And again, about control, right? Controlling your yeah. life and controlling your, exactly. yourself. And um, if you could tell your Muslim self of yesterday one thing, what would it be? My Muslim self? Yeah. So it's like advice to your younger self, kind of. As a oh, Muslim. my younger self. Okay. Yeah. You said literally yesterday. Like, I thought it was yesterday, yesterday. Oh, so the oh. reason I, I say... Oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh. reason I say yesterday is that um, not everyone is born into the religion. And so, yeah. for example, if they okay, revert right, it or whatever, right. right? So so if you tell your Muslim self of yesterday one thing, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, I would tell my younger self that it's okay to... It's okay, by the way, as like... So I grew up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I was a very big... I don't know if I want to call myself a snob because I don't think I was a snob. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. But I was really like, I don't want to have friends who are girls because, like, I feel like they just talk about, like, fashion. Like, right. I tell myself that it's okay, by the way, to accept who you are. Yeah. It's okay to be a proud Muslim woman. Yeah. It's completely okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. And that's what I would probably tell myself because I think a lot of years you have this, and I feel like I see it now, like, a lot as well. Like, you have the self not hatred but this you have this inside you and I see it sometimes sadly like in my nieces and mm-hmm. because you know kids are mean yeah and you know you you're like well why is my skin color different mm-hmm. or why like why am I the only one wearing hijab like you have this kind of inbred thing where you're kind of like oh like fine I don't like any of them either but it's okay to be yourself yeah like, that's it like people who love you are going to find you that's exactly it. exactly and they're going to gravitate towards the genuineness that you exactly exude. yeah that's amazing. Um, and then at the end of the podcast, I invite folks to pray for people, causes, actions. So is there anyone or multiple people, causes, actions that you want us to put our heads, heart, and hands in prayer for? Yeah. Everyone who is abused, everyone who is an abuser, everyone who has been discredited, everyone who has gone through something or anything in their life that has hurt them, anyone who has hurt anyone else, anyone who has looked at life and felt helpless, anyone who has been depressed, anyone who has gone through illness, anyone who has gone through trauma, anyone who has gone through anything that has hurt them or anyone who has hurt anyone knowingly or unknowingly um, in their life. Mm-hmm. And um, most of all, please, my parents as well. Yeah, no, definitely, please. And and that's the thing, right? It's heads, heart and 
um, hands. hands. <laughs> I was like, what did I just say? Hands. Because we can't only just pray. We also have to use the, the knowledge and the end that Allah has given us. And to so everyone and everybody, culture. whether you're an abuser or you are abused, mm-hmm. my prayers and my heart goes out to you because everyone needs help. It Every single true. person needs help because yeah. in the eyes of God, we are all equal. Yeah. And that so might be yours. You are great and amazing on this earth, but in the eyes of God, everyone is equal. Exactly. And, and everyone has their own thing that they're going through. So if you're the abuser or you're abused, that's, that's your situation as well. And we also need to yeah. recognize that everyone else has something that they're also going through. So we are united in that, at least. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all a test. Um, thank you so much. And is there any way that folks can support you or Sakina Homes? Yeah, honestly, just make dua. Okay. Um, on our website, you guys can see volunteer positions, how to donate, uh, how to get the word out, share our posts, like us on social media, mm-hmm. whatever it can be. Make yourself a safe person and make yourself known as a safe person. Amazing. That's- and if you need to utilize us, please do. We are here for the community. We are for the community by the community. Nice. Please nice. use us. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, that's kind of my tagline. So. Oh, I'm sorry. For, no, no, no. It's just, no, that's brilliant. It's for Muslims by Muslims. Um, oh, yeah. We're for the community by right? the community. Exactly. Yeah. So I nicely like it. tied in. So that's a good place to leave. And thank you so, so, so much for coming on and um, sharing your experiences and your knowledge. I really no, appreciate it. Okay, so that concludes the conversation. Obviously, there was an abrupt ending. That's because we continued about other things so um but i i hope that it was of value for you and it opened up the conversation in your mind and um if you feel that anyone could benefit off of this then please do share it with them um and i hope that you are able to um receive the supports that you need and in a way that you need them to be Um, so until next time, please do, um, rate and subscribe to the podcast. I feel like I'm a YouTuber when I say that. Links down below, rate and subscribe, like this, all of the above. Um, but please do so. It does actually help. And you can, like I said, follow us, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Rogue Muslim. Um, or email, uh, theroguemuslim at gmail.com. So until then... Please take care of yourself, and I hope you have a better week than last. All right, Kadafis.